off, I ask you to define the word life. How would you do it? How would you define the word life? Any takers on that? Pardon me? Life is a mystery? Okay. Pardon me? That's a good answer. Both good answers. I looked it up. There are 15 definitions to the word life. I mean, that seems like a lot, right? For a short little word. The one that caught my attention defines life as the, inter- the interval between... Let me get it right. The interval of time between birth and death. Does that sound right to you? Life is the interval of time between life and death. I think life's bigger than that, right? I mean... Then I looked up the word um, live. And it caught my eye. One of the definitions was to exist. So what do you think? Is to live to simply exist? Um, although I think much of the world, this is the mindset they have. I get up in the morning... I breathe in and out, I do some stuff, I go to bed. This is their life. I get up in the morning, I breathe in and out, I do some stuff, and then I go to bed. Um, But you know, as a Christian, we know, right? We know that life is bigger. Life is bigger than simply existing. It's simply more than the interval of time between our birth and our death. You know, statistically speaking, if you get 80 years, I don't know what the lifespan is in your home country. Where I'm from in the States, it's approximately 80 years. So that means you get 29,200 days to get out of bed, breathe in and out, do some stuff, and go back to bed. Uh, 29,200 days if you live to be 80 years old. Um, Yeah, this just all sounds too small to me. And if you actually read your Bible, you realize it is too small. Life is much more than simply to exist, simply to get get out of bed and breathe in and out, do some stuff and go back to bed. Um, We've been called into something much larger, something much more beautiful. Of course, the world tells us, I was talking to Martin about this earlier, um, the world tells us that the best you can do in this life is maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That's what life is. That's the best you can do. The world tells us the best we could possibly hope for is to, com- is to minimize pain and to maximize accumulation, comfort, ease, and pleasure, right? Isn't that what the world lives for? I want to maximize pleasure and I want to minimize pain. Again, the Christian knows life is much more than this. Life is infinitely more than simply minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. So, our heart, even the unregenerate heart, even before you were a Christian, If you're a Christian tonight, even before you're a Christian, you knew there was more. 
Right? Didn't you know there was more than simply existing? Didn't you know that? Didn't you know there was more than simply getting out of bed, having some pleasure, minimizing pain, and going back to bed? You already knew it. You know, I, I was listening to Piper preach this afternoon. He says, every human being is aching for God. And that's where sin comes in, right? Sin's easier than God. Sin is easier than God. Religion's easier than God. Right? Man, you got to want it to walk with Christ. you got to want it bad to walk with Jesus. You can't walk with Jesus unless you want it. Really bad. You can't stay up with Him. We know our heart is aching. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the verses that ends up in my preaching so often and in my teaching because it's so foundational. It's so fundamental. God has put eternity in the heart of man. And simply to exist is not enough. You know, you can't leave a, a man or a woman simply to exist. They're either going to go to God or they're going to go to sin, right? And what is sin? We talked about it uh, Wednesday night or Thursday night, whichever night it was we met at Obby's. We what is sin? What is it? It's, a, it's anesthetic. It's anesthesia, right? Because we're so bored. Sin is just an expression of boredom. If you've lived very many years as an adult, you know this. You know that life is, at some point, it just becomes boring. I'm at the end of myself. I'm not that interesting. The world can't simply be about me. I'm not that interesting. I can't hold my own interest. Right? Our heart tells us that we were made for more than simply breathing in and out minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. We know it. The greatest sinner on the face of the earth right now, they know it. They know it. And they know their heart is aching for something more. For something more. Someone said somewhere, I can't remember who it was now. This is what happens when you get my age. Um, I used to know who said this, but it doesn't matter. But I love what he said. He was a part-time, as I recall, a part-time theologian. The human soul was built for beauty, romance, and adventure. Don't you know that's true? The human soul was built for beauty, romance, and adventure. I remember when I first time I read that. I know exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting in my car. I was at lunch. I was, you know, at my lunch break from, from my business and, and I'm sitting there in my car and I'm reading this and I go, that's right! That is right! I'm made for that! His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> my heart was made for Him. Beauty, romance, sacred romance, and adventure. The human heart finds that in the person of Jesus Christ in walking with Him and knowing Him. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, the, and I'm paraphrasing, the human heart, he said, was designed to run on God and it will not run on anything else. The human heart is, is like a car. The car won't run without gasoline, without petrol. The car won't run, right? It just won't run. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, he says, your life, he says, the life of a man or woman will conk. 
Who knows what conk means? It's one of those charming English words. What does conk mean? Pardon me? It'll break down. It just stalls. The human heart stalls without God. I love... Lewis was brilliant in making simple analogies. We must have God. We must have Jesus. Lewis is right. Without Jesus Christ, we conk. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. You were dirt. I was dirt. We were all dirt. How is it that we breathe and live and dream and hope and love and feel now? How is it? How is it? You were dirt. I was dirt. How is it that now we have these amazing brains and these amazing bodies and these amazing emotions and these amazing skills and talents and abilities? Where did it come from? You guys know what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And God formed man from the dust of the earth and He breathed life in. So, God breathed life in. What happened? What happened? We know what happened. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. It's, it's amazing to me. Genesis just keeps coming back into this series. It just keeps coming back in. We're still in the same series we've been in for the last 10 or 12 weeks. God breathed life. What happened? We rebelled. We were made to live. God made us to live. God put us in paradise to live. We rebelled against God. Now we die. Now we're in a fallen world. Now we die. Now we're dead spiritually. Apart from Jesus, that's what happened. Our own rebellion. And that's what the Bible is about. God says, hey, you guys blew it. You guys blew it. But I'm going to offer life to you again. I gave you life. You chose death. I offer you life again. The living God is offering life. The living God is giving away life. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. Again, why aren't there 10,000 people trying to get in here to hear about this life? We've talked about that at length as well. Jesus says, I, someone tell me, what does Jesus say? I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. He's the life. There is no life apart from Jesus Christ. There's breathing in and out. There's minimizing pain. There's maximizing pleasure if you get your 29,200 days. But there is no life. There's a lot of religion in the world, but there's no life in the religion. There's only life in God. There's only life in the true God. His name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am life. So this will be, I think, our 11th message in our We Get To series. And tonight, I just want to remind you that we get to live. True believers get to live. Nobody else in the world gets to live. They get to breathe in and out. They get to exist. They get to take up space between their birth and their death. But they don't really live, not in the way the Bible talks about, 
They don't spiritually live. They're not connected to their Creator. They don't know their Redeemer. They will uh, experience the second death. That's what the Bible teaches us. We get to live. The Christian gets to live. From that moment that we're born again, we are alive to God. And everything changes. And we live. Let me just, I just want to keep reviewing these because I don't want you to ever forget. I want you to look at all that we do in the body of Christ. We certainly can't cover everything but, uh, in this series, but it's, I don't want you to forget that these are privileges. I think we take much of this for granted. So I want to review it one more time. We get to really live as we pray. That was our first sermon in this series. We get to sit in our Father's lap. We get to talk and listen and be changed. We get to worship. We get to worship the living God. We get to enter into that profoundly deep and beautiful dimension of worship. God is our treasure. God is our pleasure. We get to obey God in radical, life-altering, eternity-impacting ways. We get to obey Jesus as big as we dare. <laughs> you have no limitations. If you're a Christian tonight, you have no limitations. You can go out there and believe Jesus huge. And someday people will, will, will write a, a song about you. <laughs> Arazio will write a song about you. How you loved Christ! And how you made much of Jesus every day you got up! It's an awesome thing. We get to obey the Lord because He is God and nobody else is. We get to believe these amazing things that God has promised, not only for this life, but for the next. We get to suffer for the name of Christ. We get to suffer. But as you recall, as we talked about the fact that we get to suffer as the people of, of, of God, we will overcome. We get to be holy. Holiness is not a drag. Holiness is intimacy with God. That's what holiness is. <laughs> you know, a lot of people just think, well, holiness is a drag, man. I don't want to be holy. That's a drag. You know? It's not a drag. It's Satan lying to you. It's not a drag. It's intimacy with God. That's what holiness is. We get to be holy. Yeah? It's a struggle. We struggle with it. We're in the Romans 7 fight. Sin is still alive in us. But we get to be holy. We get to give. We get to give ourselves. We get to give our money. We get to give our talents and our resources. We get to give to the body of Christ and to the world. We get to love and serve this body. We don't date the church. We commit to the church. We get the truth of God. We know the truth of God. Jesus says, I am the truth. A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the fact that we get to be His witnesses in the world. You, this is a privilege. Don't you know this is a privilege? You get to be His witness in the world. You get to be a witness to the truth, to, to the truth that brings life. You get to do that. It doesn't matter how low you are. Your life always means something because you're a witness. <laughs> you're a witness. You know, I, I meet Christians sometimes and they, they, have, a, a, they have kind of a, uh, a low self-image. And, uh, 
you know, we understand about humility. I get all of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, your life means something. You get to do the most important thing in the world. Worship God and witness to Him. You bring glory to God and you get to witness to the glory of God. Beloved, this is a meaningful life. I don't care what you do, where you live, what you drive, how you dress. <laughs> None of that matters at all. You have a meaningful life. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every day you get up matters. I love what one theologian said. I forgot this guy's name too. But you know that verse, uh, Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, these are the most dangerous people in the world. <laughs> I love that. How dangerous are you for the cause of Jesus? Is somebody liable to get converted because you're in their life? <laughs> course we can't control that but we can certainly sow the truth right we can certainly sow the truth so last sunday uh, we were out of the series as we talked about this great uh, resurrection of our lord jesus and it just seemed good after we talked about the resurrection to, to to talk about the fact and celebrate the fact that we get to live we don't just exist I don't just get up out of the bed in the morning and breathe in and out and do some stuff that doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. What I do matters in the big scheme of things. If you're a Christian today, what you do matters in the big scheme. You're in the big scheme. You're part of the big scheme, right? You're not like the rest of the world. You're not just minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. You're making, you're, you're making much of Jesus. That's what human beings were designed to do from the very beginning to make much of Jesus. This whole book is about life. There are 1,000 references to life in this book. 1,000. And you remember what Jesus said, right? I came that you might have a normal life. Is that what Jesus said? What did He say in John 10.10? I came that you might have an average life. I came that you might have, you know... A marginal life. What did he say? What does John 10 10 say? Abundant. 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 Beloved, we get abundant life. No other religion, and I'll use that word, although I do not believe Christianity is a religion in, in the sense that the world religions are. <laughs> no other religion can promise that. Jesus says, I give you my life. I give you infinite life. I give you eternal life. It's an awesome thing. I looked up this word abundant, and I did an exhaustive word study. If you've read my book, you actually, it's in the book. Uh, this exhaustive word study. Just a couple of... Just a couple of I'm not going to give you all of them because there's too many. But this is what it means. This, this Greek word translated abundantly, it means to have a, a life beyond measure. To have a fervent life. To have uh, an over and above kind of life. And I love this one. This is my favorite one. A more than necessary kind of life. Don't you love it? A more than necessary kind of life. I love this. This is the kind of life that God gives to His people. This is what He does. A more than necessary kind of life. It's the kind of life He gives as He introduces us to our born-again selves. 
I love it. In a sense, God says, get busy living or get busy dying, right? That's your choice as a human being. You can get busy living or you can get busy dying. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's the choice that God offers to humanity. This more than necessary life, what did Jesus tell us it was for in the Sermon on the Mount? That you might, that you might, let me get it right, that men may see what? Your good works and what? Glorify the Father who's in heaven. That's what your more than necessary life is all about. Yes, it's about your relationship with God and your eternal destination. But it's also about uh, the glory of God being seen in your life and being heard in your life through your deeds and your words. I know this comes up in my preaching all the time. I always talk about smelling like God. I thought, you know what? I probably haven't ever read that text to you. Or at least I haven't read that text to you in a long time. Your more than necessary life is so you will smell like God in your home, at the university, at work, at the aperitivo. You'll smell like God. Here's the text. Some of you are familiar with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. I love that and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. God means for you to smell. You're supposed to be like the beautiful people down in Milan, right? You go down to the fashion district and you can smell them 10 meters before you see them, right? And you can, you can smell them 10 meters after they get past you, right? They're... They just have this like envelope of fragrance. That's you. That's you. You're supposed to have this envelope of Jesus around you. This, this fragrance of God. You think differently. You talk differently. You process life differently. And everyone around you knows you're like this because you love Jesus. You're different. You smell like God. You smell like God. So what do we do with this more than necessary life? Everything. Everything God has commanded you to do, do it. Open your hands with God. Come clean with God. Quit trying to hang on to stuff. You know? Quit trying to hang on to what you think is yours. Nothing is yours. If you don't know that, here's a, here's a bulletin. Nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. Nothing. It's all God's. And it's on loan to you. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to hoard it up and keep it for yourself? Or are you going to be a good steward? Beloved, we're called to be the fragrance of God in every circumstance. Not just on the mountaintop days. It's easy then, right? It's easy. Man, when I'm on top of the world and the blessings are just... I can't even, I can't even begin to count the, the, the obvious blessings that are the, the visible blessings coming into my life. And we're on the mountaintop. It's easy to smell like God then. But what about when you're in the valley? <laughs> you know? Do you smell like God in the valley? Are you abundant? Is that abundant life... Even in the, on the hardest day, is it, is it, is it, is it qui just quietly still present? 
Good day or hard day, up day, down day, happy day, sad day, a day of great blessing or a day of great trial. Is your abundant life on display for all the world to see? You know, we've talked about it many times. On the hard day, you find out what you really believe, right? You find out what you really believe. You guys know this. And there are several ways I could have gone with this sermon. You know, we get to live. And I'm always talking about living your faith huge. I'm always talking about that. You probably grow a little weary of it. Living your faith huge. But the Lord has led me in a different way to talk about life. I think the emphasis for us this week is not simply that we live our faith huge. Yes, we should. But we live our sorrow huge. And what I mean by that is the abundant life is visible or perceivable even in our tears, right? The whole world can still see how much I am hopelessly in love with Jesus even on that hard day, that dull day, that gray day. There's still this quiet, as Paul says, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's still this joy even when it's hard even when it's difficult. Christianity is not a pep rally, always. It's not always rah, rah. Sometimes we don't feel the abundant life. But what I want to say to you tonight, and most of you already know this, Christianity is not about how you feel. Sometimes it's about how you feel. (laughs) Sometimes you feel it in your soul. And your soul feels like it's going to explode. And sometimes you don't feel it at all. It's not about how you feel. It's about who you love, right? It's not about how you feel every day. Some days you don't feel like you have abundant life. That's never the issue. The issue is you have it in Christ. And will you let that quiet joy permeate even the days where there's dullness, grayness, mundaneness, Listen, we're human beings. I think there's a physiological reality for us. Some days we simply don't feel great. We're not effervescent. (laughs) Karen mostly is all the time. But, um, yeah, you just want to slap her sometimes. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, (laughs) But sometimes we're not like that. But that's part of being a fallen human being. Right? The abundant life is still real. The abundant life is still real. And we need to be communicating that to our friends and family and colleagues. What does the psalmist do in Psalm 42 when when he's in despair? What does he do? Does anybody remember Psalm 42? Let me just read a few excerpts for you from Psalm 42. Remember the psalmist says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Sometimes we are in despair. Sometimes we are just low. And we don't, sometimes we don't even know why. I don't know if this happens to you. Sometimes I don't even know why. 
I should be effervescent. And this one thing I love about John Piper says, he says in heaven we'll be able to worship God because there'll be no encumbrances, right? There'll be no physiological encumbrances, right? We'll have the stamina to worship God like we ought to worship God. I love that. I think it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a great thing I look forward to. I won't have a down day in heaven where I should be effervescent for God. The psalmist continues, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God! Right? This is how, this is how you do it on the day that's hard. This is how you do it on the day that you're low. This is how you do it. You hope in God! You just hope in God. Listen, he says, For I shall again praise you for the help of His presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you. You will command your loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to God of my life. What is the psalmist doing on that hard day, that low day, that gray day, that dull day, that mundane day? What is the psalmist doing? What is he doing? It's what I tell you to do all the time. Anybody remember? You've got to preach to yourself. It's what he's doing. He's preaching to himself. He's in a low spot, but he's preaching to himself. He's going to preach himself right out of it. Maybe not immediately, but he's laying the groundwork. He's preaching himself. Now, what's the key to a good preacher? You tell me. What's the key to a good preacher? What's the absolute key to a good preacher? What is it? He's got to believe it, right? <laughs> if he doesn't believe it, forget all about it. The psalmist believes it. The psalmist believes he can hope in God. This is a difficult day, and I'm not even sure I can articulate why, God, but I hope in you. I hope in you. I love it. This is how you live the abundant life <laughs> when it doesn't feel abundant. Again, Christianity is not about feelings. But how do we make much of Jesus on the gray day? We hope in God. And we rejoice. We may be sorrowful today, but, but we rejoice. We may be sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Psalm 42.6. He says, When my soul is in the dumps, <laughs> I rehearse everything I know about God. Don't you love it? When my soul is in the dumps, I just recount everything I know to be true about God. I just recount it. I just walk through it. I looked up some synonyms. I just narrate it. I recite it to myself. I report it to myself. I state it to myself. I practice what He's told me to practice. Listen, beloved, we all have difficult times or seasons, but you don't have to stay there. If you're a Christian, you have what you need. You preach to yourself. You go to the Word just like the psalmist and you preach to yourself. You preach to yourself. And then you won't take that grayness out on your loved one or your friend or your colleague. You know, God brings the balm, you know? You know what the balm? B-A-L-M. He brings the balm. And He puts on the balm. His Word brings the balm to us. It made me think of Jeremiah. Um, we talked about Jeremiah some weeks ago. Remember Jeremiah 3? He says, he writes, I am filled with bitterness. I've forgotten happiness. My strength and my hope have perished. Three verses later, before anything has changed, he says, 
I recall to my mind how faithful God is, right? His loving kindness never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God, right? What's he doing? He's preaching to himself. This is what you're supposed to do, beloved. You say, Jim, my, my abundant life does not feel abundant today. It feels anything but abundant. Then preach to yourself. Lay the groundwork. God will bring you out of the grayness. I remember a very, very hard time in my life many years ago now. And, uh, man, I was just, you know, um, in this deep, quiet, persistent, exhausted kind of despondency. And I guess I had every excuse. I had a good excuse. I, I could make a, a good excuse for it. And, uh, but I remember... Late one night, I should have been sleeping, but I couldn't. I needed God more than I needed sleep. <laughs> and I turn to the Psalms. And you're not going to believe this, but I didn't write down the, the, which Psalm it is. <clears throat> but I read this. God gives to His beloved even in His sleep. It's like Psalm 60-something. God gives to His beloved even in His sleep. And I started sleeping like a baby. My circumstance didn't change for quite some time. But the groundwork was laid to stop feeling sorry for myself. You know, that's the worst thing you can do. You call yourself a Christian, that's the worst thing you can do is feel like a victim and feel sorry for yourself. If you are a Christian, you're not a victim. <laughs> you are a co-heir with Jesus. And if you can't get jazzed about that, I'm not sure what I can say to get you jazzed. You are co-heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You are an adopted son or daughter of the King. Some days you don't feel it. Preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Abundant lifers, we learn to work hard to smell like God when the spouse leaves, when the child dies, when the career ends, when the money's all gone, and when the dreams don't come true. It's not about putting on a fake or phony or you know performance, facade performance. It's just about sitting in God's lap and resting there. We hurt, we cry, we mourn, we lose, we grieve, we suffer, and we despair. Some days are extremely difficult. But again, like Paul, we can be sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Amen? We can always rejoice. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Jim, I don't feel like a co-heir today. That's not what I'm saying. If you're a born-again believer, you are co-heir with Christ. I don't... It doesn't really matter how you feel. It matters what's true. Some things are true whether you believe them or not. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So, sometimes through the tears we have to preach to ourselves. And we never stop hoping 
in God. As I said earlier, Christian is not all rah-rah. And you, you know if you've been around very long, I detest, I abominate the word of faith, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel stuff that in my mind blasphemes God and diminishes the truth and the power of the true gospel. The abundant life Jesus is talking about is not physical abundance. He may grant physical abundance, but the promise is spiritual abundance, beloved. It's always spiritual abundance. There are millions of Christians who live at subsistence poverty levels all over the world. Now, some fool who calls himself a teacher might say, well, they don't have enough faith. Now, I bet many of those who live at subsistence level, I bet their faith would blow away <laughs> the faith of the false teacher. Um, so I hate that kind of false teaching. Jesus' promise is about a spiritual abundance of the heart, soul, mind, and imagination as we contemplate the future. So, Jesus says He gives us abundant life. And I just, it was, it was, it's one of those God things. I just thought, you know, I haven't read 2 Corinthians in a while. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians this week. So I just started reading 2 Corinthians. Bam! <laughs> the sermon was right there. Let me just share a few verses with you. I was reading 2 Corinthians. Um, and you read all the stuff that Paul went through. These are some of his words. He says, I'm burdened excessively. I'm burdened beyond my strength. He says, I'm despairing of life. He says, I'm in afflictions, hardships, distresses, tumults, sleepless nights, hunger. I'm, he says, I'm experiencing beatings, imprisonments, dangers, exposure to the elements. He says all of these things. Chapter 4, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but I am not crushed, he says. I am perplexed, but I am not despairing. I am persecuted, but I am not forsaken. I am struck down, but I am not destroyed. Verse, uh, pardon me, chapter 6, Paul says, as I've said to you already three or four times, he says, I am sorrowful, but I am always rejoicing. This is the abundant life. This is the abundant life. I'm always rejoicing. Circumstance can't touch me in my heart, in my soul. Circumstance cannot touch me. And then in chapter 4, Paul says, We do not lose heart, though the outer man is decaying. Our inner man is being renewed. For momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Beloved, you weren't born to simply take up, the, take up space between the interval, the interval between your, your birth and your death. You weren't made to simply exist. You were made to live abundantly. Whether that's full of outward joy or through the tears on a, on a hard day, we live abundantly. We live abundantly because our God is who He is. It's easy to live the abundant life on the mountaintop. It's way more powerful when your friends and family and colleagues see you live it in the valley. When they see you hope in God and love God and worship God, and trust in God. You say, you know, you confess to your, your family, I, I'm just, I don't know what it is, but I do trust in God. I trust in God. 
And, you, and we need to teach our unbelieving family and friends. It's not about how I feel. Christianity is not ultimately about how I feel. It's about what's true. And I can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Do your family and friends and colleagues, do they see your quiet, abundant life even through your tears? through your depression, through your despair, through the grayness and the grief and the dullness. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Beloved, that's on the mountaintop when it's easy, when the world can see it and they say, well, of course, of course they praise God. Look, look at all the blessings. It's what Satan said about Job. Well, you gave him so much stuff. You've blessed him so much. Of course he blesses you. Of course He praises you. Right? The world says the same thing. But what about when we're down low? Right? Are we like Job? Do we still worship? Through our tears or through our despondency? This is where the abundant life is really powerful. It's where it's really powerful. It's where the world does not understand it at all. Right? The world can't even begin to understand it. That you would love God through a trial. That you would worship God. Unquestionably worship God in the trial. There would never be a question in your mind. There's no doubt I'll worship God. It doesn't matter what happens. I worship God. God is ultimate. Circumstance and feelings are not ultimate. So we're not here merely to exist for 29,200 days. We are here to live the abundant life. And that means to make much of Jesus on the mountaintop and to make much of Jesus in the valley. We get to live, beloved. Nobody else on the face of the earth or in the history of mankind gets to live like we do. Nobody. Only Christians. Only lovers of Jesus. Only disciples of Christ. If you don't know Christ, come talk to Him. We'll talk about it. If you want to learn how to have an abundant life on your worst day, if you want to learn what it means to glorify God through your tears, if you don't understand that, if that is unintelligible to you, come and talk to me. And I'll try to help you see a God who's so beautiful, who's so compelling, who's so awesome, that you'll begin to understand <laughs> He's bigger than the hard things. He's better and sufficient in the hard thing. Tonight we're going to celebrate the table. Uh, the way we do this is someone will come and play and for, for three or four or five minutes. And what I want you to do during that time is prepare your hearts and your minds to, to, to remember you know, what Jesus has done in our behalf, we have open communion here. All who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior and followed Him in the church ordinance of baptism, you are welcome to partake. Again, three or four minutes. Prepare your hearts. When you're ready, come up. Take the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat. Then I will stand. I'll read a text and we will partake of the elements.
Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what this awesome God has done in our behalf.